In this episode, we talk to Josh and Marcy about how they purchased a portfolio of investment properties using a loan from a small local bank, how they borrowed the down payment from a family member, and how they funded the rehab costs with a HELOC on their primary residence. We also talk about the importance of building long-term business relationships with contractors rather than transactional relationships. Finally, we get some details on their plan to downsize and hit the road in an RV full-time with their family. I'm Neil Henderson, and this is The Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things, and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash S-T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Josh and Marcy Rathman, welcome to the road to family freedom. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us today. You said you literally just got back from an RV, your first RV trip like three hours ago, and it was a great time, a, little, a few little bumps and bruises, but turned out okay. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was really a dream come true for us. So if we get some time at the end, I would like to talk to you a little bit about that, but for our audience that you know mainly came on here to talk to you about real estate, we'll stick to real estate for the start. So you've gone from zero to 50 doors, is that correct? Yeah, about a year and a half now. So okay, so uh, so I want you to to think back long, long ago, like a year and a half ago, to that first property. What was that property? What did it look like? What did what did it take for you to get into it? So it was actually a portfolio, like, like a package. So way we got started and how I was introduced into the real estate realm is I knew that I had to meet you know like minded people and people that were way smarter than I was. And I had to take a, a, a target city, you know, kind of not just kind of flounder all over the place, but take a city and really learn that city. And it so happened to be a city that was about an hour drive from where I was at. And I met the really the, the main realtor that's out there that has a large portfolio himself. And he heard about us and what we were trying to do and introduced us to a lot of people out there. And then he said, Hey, I have a opportunity for you. Why don't you take a look at these properties and see if you want them? And there was like two duplexes and two single family homes that I was interested in. And I was like, hey, I'll take this one, this one, and this one. So I kind of got to pick a few that I was ready and willing to do because I knew I didn't want to just start with one and neither did my wife. We didn't want to start just doing one at a time, you know, and slowly progress our way through. We were ready to jump in feet first. We had been studying and reading books and listening to podcasts for about two years before we were really getting into our first purchase. So analysis paralysis was kind of real for us. And we had recognized it. And then Insta was like, hey, we're going to let, let's get more than a f- one door, two doors. Let's, let's go for as many as we can off the start. So it was two duplexes, two single family homes. So it was six doors at the beginning. And that's where it all started. All right. So two duplexes and two single families. 
Yes. It's actually a, a pocket deal that the real estate agent brought to us. And it was at least 30 different properties. Most of them single family homes or small duplexes. And we were just told to make an offer on the things that we wanted. So we ended up making nine offers and those four got accepted. All the same seller? It was two different sellers, but all very close together. Yeah. And the two duplexes were one bedroom, one bathroom. So they're almost identical. And then what was it? Uh, It was a two bedroom, two bath. It was a duplex that had been converted into a single family home. But it wasn't zoned as a duplex, which is why we no longer have it in our portfolio. Yeah. And then we had a single family home that was a three bedroom, two bath, which further down the line, we actually ended up flipping that one. <laughs> gotcha. So well, we knew the end goal was multifamily. So yeah. the single family homes, you know, were just kind of stepping stones along the way. Yeah. Gotcha. Learning points. Yeah. Okay. So you, you bought, you ended up buying four different properties. How did you, what was the total, do you recall the total purchase price? So the total purchase price was, uh, if I remember, it was about $120,000 for six doors. It was about fifty to 55000 on the single family home on one of them. And then the two duplexes and the other single family home made up the rest of that. So it was about $120,000. And they were renting for the single family home, I think it was $610 for the three bedroom, two bath. The duplex that was converted into a, a single family home was running for $450. And the duplexes were running $245 per door on the low side and about $350 on the high side. So incredibly low rents. So you can imagine that sounds like, oh, you guys are in these war zones, you know, and that's what we thought at the same time, we're like, what are we doing? You know, but we were assured by the people that were kind of coaching us and mentoring us. You know, they said it wasn't a war zone, but it wasn't like it was a class A property either. So when we walked in, when I walked in, it was a disaster. And there was actually people living in there. And that was kind of heartbreaking when we saw it. But at the same time, there was opportunity there to really excel and create something that that city has never seen before. And that was our goal is we were going to take A class type amenities and put them into C class properties. Gotcha. So that's what spawned kind of this real estate adventure and what we were trying to do. So you're at a, it was $120,000 total purchase price for all six properties for sorry, yes. all four, six doors, all, four properties. all six doors. Yes. The price sort of boggles my mind. Uh, and, and this is I coming know. from somebody who- even, That's it boggled our mind too. Yeah. It's one of the reasons we chose the market because it was such a low point of entry. We could get in, yeah. you know, with just what we had in our HELOC. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So that brings, sort of brings up the next question. How did you end up funding that purchase? So we brought a lot of creativity to that first deal. First, it was with the bank, right? So they did 80% of the loan. So we we were recommended a banker there and we- divide, a local banker, and we developed a relationship with them before we even purchased. So again, through our through the mentors that we had, they said, make sure you contact this person, get with this bank. And so I would have lunch with this banker about once a week, and he was the VP of the bank, Providence Bank that I work with. And as the relationship grew, he's like, well, when you're ready, you know, come to me. And that's what I did. Uh, so 80% he was willing to fund. And I was like, well, we don't really have 20% to put down. 
we did. Well, a little it would bit. have been all of what we needed to do renovations, though. Yeah. So, so we wouldn't have anything left for renovations. Yeah. So it's kind of like in either or situation. So we contacted her stepdad and said, "Hey, we have an opportunity for you. Would you like to go in on this opportunity by funding the down payment?" And he said, "Absolutely." He was okay being second on the loan because he was really interested in getting into real estate, but didn't want to do like the heavy lifting kind of stuff that we were end up doing, like getting the loan and doing the renovations and finding the tenants and placing them and doing property management. He kind of liked being a private money lender. It wasn't his first choice to be second on the loan, but it was his way of getting his foot in the door and into real estate as well. And you didn't have any issues with the, the bank having you, you borrowing the down payment for the purchase? No, not at all. He did not really care where that money was coming from. All he said was, wherever you come up with that money, just let me know. We're just going to be first position on that loan. And because they were a small bank, he was able to manipulate that. And it wasn't a residential loan. Right. It was a commercial loan. So it's non-conforming commercial loan. Right. Correct. Yeah. So after marrying with her stepdad's money, the bank's money and our money through a HELOC. So we'd actually pulled a HELOC on our, you know, current residents. And we're like, that's how we're going to fund through the, the rehab part of it. So that it was, it was really a blend of all that. And during that time, it was, it was very much a learning experience as far as like, well, how do you rehab these so that not only could we up the rent by a lot, but also create a package deal as far as you know, what is it that we're going to look like in the future? What is our build process? What is our management process? How are we going to go through all these things so that we can create a repeatable business? Because we knew like six doors was not going to be it. It wasn't, we're just going to stop with six doors and that was going to be okay. We knew we had to go as far as we could, as fast as we could, as safe as we could. So what did that entail? You know, it was very much at the beginning for myself and her was very much a Let's get all the bumps and bruises out of the way now, knowing that in the future, we're going to be able to do things a lot more efficiently. So there was money lost. There was build processes with my contractor after I'd cold called about five different contractors. I got them on the phone and talked to them and talked to them and then was trying to get a feel for them. And then I was like, I don't think you're going to work out and went through that about five different times until I found one guy that really after about two hours of talking with him, I was like, we need to meet, please come to my rental and let's discuss this. And he did. And, you know, it really took off from there as him and I were working closely together, trying to figure out what materials to use and what the processes were and writing them down and creating all these documents to say, all right, let's keep learning. Let's keep doing. But as we're doing and learning, let's create efficiency through it. And luckily, he was also very much a kind of a project management type person in his own business. So, as you know, he kind of filled the gaps in as far as my weaknesses and I filled in his weaknesses. And then Marcy was the glue that kind of brought us all together to make sure we stayed bonded and were efficient in the business. So upon that build process and really an experiment because I was like, I didn't, I don't like accepting the status quo because they said, oh, you're never going to be able to get a higher rent there. And for the one bedroom, one bath in this city that we work in, it was the highest rent for a one bedroom, one bath was $550. And that was us. 
And they said, oh, you'll never get that there. And we did. Well, now a year and a half later, I'm pushing 600. Yeah. For one bedroom, one bath. And that may not be something, you know, in the big cities that's like, well, that's really low. But for the city that we invest in, in Rocky Mount, that is the highest. So it was really, again, that experimenting. Can we do this? And I know everyone asks, well, what's your ARV numbers on those duplexes since, you know, you, we bought them for $30,000 and the other one for was like 22500 Well, after I put, uh, it was about... $13,000 per door into the properties. The duplexes, one duplex appraised for $84,000. The other duplex appraised for $92,000. The single family home, once we decided to flip it, we bought that for, I think it was $55,000. And it appraised for, I think it was one sixty dollars after we were all said and done. Wow. So we saw the value there ahead of time. And that's where it was like, we, I don't wanna say took a gamble, but it was an educated guess that says, if we push this now, and this was again, a year and a half, a year, about a year and a half ago, if we push this now, we can keep going with it. And once we saw that ARV and we bird out of it, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, once we bird out of it, we got all that money back. We were like, we gotta do this again. Yeah. Well, I think that was the interesting thing about that first, purchase, you know, we kind of felt like we had bitten off more than we could chew. And the first duplex that we renovated, he did a lot of the work on it, the demo and flooring and things like that until he could find that good contractor. And then they worked together on that second duplex to renovate it. Yeah. But by the time they were almost finished with that second duplex, we had another deal on our tables and it was... The two duplexes it was two. that Don Brennigan brought us? Yeah. So she brought us a portfolio of about 50 doors and said, which one of these do you want? So we met Don Brennigan through one of the BP meetups that we actually run ourselves. Well, she was running and it. She was running we it. We took it over. And we took it over because we knew, again, being, you got to put yourself as the center, as that focal point. And that's what we were kind of expounding on is like, we needed to be those people, but not just to be the people, but to provide Network. value to other people. Like Network. through our learning process and saying, hey, you can go bigger faster and how do you do it? And so once we took over that meetup and kind of were the, again, the glue for everybody else, that's where things started to really take hold. And that's when she said, hey, I've got this portfolio. And at first I didn't think like we could handle any more, but what we ended up doing is burring out of the first duplex and and including that into the loan for the mm -hmm. second set of duplexes. So we didn't end up putting any money in. It was just the money that we had gotten out of the yeah. first burr. Yep. That was the down payment on that second. That second um, portfolio. Because it was two duplexes in a single family home. So it was yep. five doors, you know, for our for our second go around. And it, as long as we were rolling that money forward instead of like, you know, you can take and we could have purchased a car or, you know, done frivolous things with it. But again, that wasn't our goal. Our goal was to accelerate, expand as fast as we could. And we so we explained that it. to the local banker. It was the same bank. They were mm -hmm. interested in the second loan. They knew we would be ready to burr out that second duplex too at some point, probably when we were ready to burr out the next two duplexes. Those were 
three ones, three bedroom, one bath. Three bedroom, one baths. And the single family home, I think, was another three bedroom, two bath. Three bedroom, two bath. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. So that's the only single family home we still own. I want to just step back to that portfolio so I'm understanding kind of where you're at. You said it cost you about thirteen thousand per door to renovate those those six doors. Right. All right. So you were on all- average, yeah. There's some lessons. Lessons to be learned in there. Maybe aren't going to get our money back for a brand new paved driveway. Yeah. So there were some construction issues in there that I was like, oh, let's do this and let's do this. And not like, hey, pull it back a little bit. I mean, luckily, I I captured that money back. Right. But at the same time, we didn't know we were going to get that money back. There was $6,000 for a driveway for a duplex. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't know like, hey, we're going to get that all that money back. So there was some money that was spent that could have been spent elsewhere, knowing what we know now, of course. We weren't as efficient efficient with our renovations then as as we are now. Gotcha. Well, let's let's get into that a little bit, because obviously, you know, you guys talk a lot about your rehab process and documenting that process and and repeating that process. Was that Mm -hmm. do you feel like that was one of the biggest things that you had to learn how to do in order to be successful? Absolutely. And it, and it's and it's funny because I actually have a background in construction and building houses. I built them custom homes for it was about three years and became lead man on a crew and ran a crew and built apartment buildings, townhomes in Illinois and in Florida. So I was like, yeah, I got this. You know, like there's this there's nothing to it. Well, it's one thing to do it for someone else. It's another to do it for yourself. And that's where, again, I think it was maybe a little overconfidence on the construction part. While I knew what I was looking at, it was almost overzealous in like, let's buy all this stuff and make it look just perfect and amazing. Well, my contractor was also in that learning phase. While he knew what it is I wanted, he didn't quite know all the materials either for you know rentals. He was more of a maintenance person. So it was more of a handyman business at that time. And so it was basically us two newbies going in together, a construction guy and an investor going in together and learning together where I would be there every day working alongside them, swinging a hammer, you know, and really learning the materials that I was using going, nope, this isn't going to work. And yes, this was perfect. Let's make sure we do that going forward. And so it was a lot of push pull effect inside that learning process for those few months that we were working on that first deal, those first couple doors and really narrowing down like what are the counters we're going to use? What kind of cabinets are we going to use? What kind of doorknobs? You know, and we created a master list together. And so on this master list, we kept updating and updating and it would have the part numbers all the way down to the detail, all the way down to the price point. And so anytime we would change the master list up, we would add it or subtract it from that list. And so when any anytime we went to Lowe's or Home Depot, we'd say, here's here's what we need. And it would be like a printout and they would say, okay, perfect. They go pull it or we would go pull it ourselves and, you know, and just repeat that cycle. Yeah. Now we're a lot better at that now, but well, that's even how it Even with appliances, we started by like trying to find things on OfferUp or Craigslist right. or driving around all over the place to get the cheapest, cheapest refrigerator. Thing. And one of them he brought home and I was like, oh, no, we are not going to rent. No, I'm Don't not do it. This. And so we just, you know, you, you sort of refine along the way. And, and I think a lot of it had to do too with the networking, like being in the center of the BP meetups, 
we met different people. And even recently, we've refined our flooring and what LVP we use because we're just talking about it with other local real estate investors. And one of them's a flipper. And he's like, oh, I use this. Oh, can we use your flooring guy? Yeah, sure. And so you get better at, at all the different little facets of investing is like, it's yeah. not just about spending money or having your money make money. There's so many other little things that go along with that, yeah. you know, from it's, it's a people game, you know, it's like people first that's throughout anything. It's always about the people. It's not about how much money you make or how much did I get out of my burr or how much did I get out of my flip? It's what kind of team did you make right. during that process so that when you do it again, you can do it faster and better and help each other out. So that everyone wins. It's not just about us winning. Well, we've churned through some some contractors and, and we tried to get them to compete, you know, with the first guy to see if we could get his prices down. And we kind of got burned by the newer, cheaper contractors. And so we've gone back to our to our main guy because he's just his quality is unparalleled. And for us, that's less headache when yep. you have more volume. Just to trust that he's gonna do it and he's gonna know what we need and what the quality level is. Right. It's it's very helpful. And that's where we're at now. Like so as he was learning, I was learning, and now it's we got the prices down, but we have our efficiencies up. So now we're turning units in. We can turn them in three days or less now. Just as fast as we get them, we can turn them now just well, because of what we've learned. It's a partnership. Yeah, it's now. a partnership now. Well, and that's, I tell people all the time that in real estate, as quickly as you can get out of being in transactional relationships with people, the better. Get into long-term business relationships, you know, you're not going to, when you go to that contractor and you start getting two contractors, three contractors competing on price together, they're, you're only a paycheck. You're one paycheck for them and then they're on to the next job. And so they're going to, right. they're going to treat you like that. So it's not, you know, I, I don't tell people to not, you know, not look for the best value, but realize that the best value is not just monetary. It's going to be quality work. It's going to be a lack of mm -hmm. headache. Uh, all of those things. And, and if you can find a good contractor, keep them employed, keep them Absolutely. so busy that they don't have time to work with anyone else. That's, that's exactly right. So he literally works almost exclusively for us now. And anytime he, you know, we slow down or we have a slump, we are our mentor, like we've handed them off to our mentor and said, here's how we provide value to you. And this is, you know, after that, about that next portfolio, that second portfolio, that's when we really got to know our mentor well, and he got to know us and we confided in each other and we started sharing resources. And that's when really the relationships took off. And so I was like, Hey, I'm really good at finding contractors because I speak their language let me, let me help you in this. And so I handed him off to my mentor and he uses him almost exclusively. Well, not just him, the HVAC guy, the pest the flooring control guy, guy. pest yeah. control. Right. Yeah. So it was a very much a sharing at that point. So anytime somebody was lacking something, we would fill that hole, you know, with another contractor and be like, Hey, let's try this guy out. Let's try him together. I'll try him here. You try him there. If he works, we've got a good guy and we'll, you know, develop that relationship, as you said. And that, and that really was the key to the success. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we talked to their contractor about meeting up RVing right. when we're on the road. When we're on the road, you know, so that it's 
gone beyond just contractor, you know, investor relationship. It's gone to personal friendship. And that goes for a lot of people we meet, you know, like if, if we're going to meet someone and meet someone at these meetings and our networking events, you know, we don't want just to have a face. We want a name. We want to know your background. We want to know where you came from. Why are you doing this? Yes, why? What is your why? What's the point of investing? How are you trying to change your life? And that's, that's what we're about. Yeah. I mean, well, that's why we're in real estate is our why. We're not in real estate because we love it. Yeah. Right. It's we great, right? I mean, end. I love it probably more than she does. Yeah, but at the same time, I have to do the property management. She does the property <laughs> management, right? So that's the other half. And I deal with a lot of the construction and acquisitions. So there is a separation of duties here, right? The not so glamorous side, but probably the most important side is what she does, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's a give and take, you know? Yeah. Well, and I've, I've said that before as well, is that I don't, love real estate. I mean, I do love real estate, but I, I love more what real estate allows you to do. Yes. Um, it's what, what, what it allows to be possible. Um, Absolutely. So and we did it, you know, even at the beginning, you know, so as we're saying this real estate, everyone's probably like, what do you guys do? We both had full-time jobs, mm -hmm. two kids, a mortgage, you know, worked eight, 10, 12 hours a day in our full-time jobs, came home, we're up for two, two and a half, three hours with our kids trying to catch up with them. And then we were up late at night and up early in the morning doing Miracle Mornings, you know, reading, learning. Anytime we could fill that time with the exercise of our heads, you know, in, in real estate, knowing it was going to pay off later. Like we spent nights, weekends, we lost friends along the way because we were like, look, we have to sacrifice now so we can live like no one else later, you know, like it was a major, major sacrifice that we had to go through. And we went silent on a lot of our closest friends for about nine months to almost a year, just because we were so buried in the information and networking and acquisitions and learning in the property management side, you know. Date nights were the meetups. Yeah, date nights were the meetups for us. You know, we didn't have date nights. We were like, all right, so what book did you read tonight? What yeah. podcast did you read to? Yeah. It's hard we, to have a date night without talking about it. Right. And we were, you know, we drive in together and listen to podcasts all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just like, what did you learn? And she would write notes as we were driving. Like, this is what we learned, you know. So, and then we would look over the notes again. And, yeah. you know, so it was, it was well, hard. But so, so that sort of answers one of our, our main questions is how did you, how did you go about educating yourself when you got started? I mean, you guys talked about, you spent about two years educating yourself and being in, in a yep. little bit of paralysis analysis, which is very common. I, I've been there as well. You're sort of bombarded with, you know, you listen to the bigger pockets podcast, you know, you're hearing all these different strategies, you know, Oh my God, somebody, you know, lease options. Oh my God. I got to learn how to do lease Picking options. One is and, hard, yeah. You know, yep. yeah, it is. And you really ultimately, each strategy is going to be different. Each strategy is going to be different for every person. And really it comes down yes. to, you've got to figure out what's going to work for you and what you want your life to look like once you're done, once it's up and running. Yep. And second, realize that ultimately you just got to pick one and just focus, you know, I mean, you can sit there and do short-term rentals and small multis and single family homes or mobile home parks or whatever, you know, just, just pick one. It's, pick it's one. all basically the same thing. What you're trying to do is buy cash flowing assets. That's it. That's it. Um, and that, it, it, if that's the lifestyle, right? For us, it was like, well, we, we knew some flipper friends, right. That through that network, you know, we're like, Hey, what's flipping look like? Well, 
while yes, you make good money, if you stop, the money stops. And we're like, well, that doesn't fit what our end goal is. And the end goal is to have monthly cash flow so that our time is freed up. Our most precious asset is our time. He's always wanted to flip. And in the beginning, I was just like, no, don't shiny object. Right, right. It so was going to guess what we want to do. Like if, if we get to that point where you're out of your W2 job, we've got enough rentals to keep us afloat and you're bored, then go flip. Right. And that's kind of what he's been doing since what, June? Yeah, about June, but backing up a little bit. So as the acquisitions picked up, right? So as our network grew out and, you know, in, in Rocky Mountain, what we were trying to do. I was getting better and better at, you know, talking to sellers and getting more confident, you know, and that, I think that's where a lot, you know, when people start off, they're like, well, how do I do this? And, and that's just from a lack of confidence, right? So as you acquire confidence builds and then you realize, all right, if you're open and honest with yourself, you realize any and all problems that come about are a direct result of your action. Take responsibility and extreme ownership for that action and you'll go so much further than saying well it was because of that guy he's the one that messed up and that's what caused me to fail take responsibility for that and be like how could i have done that better so that maybe that person would have never messed up had we not created the situation where he failed which caused me to fail so as long as i was thinking that constantly like what can i do better the next day to make sure that I learned from the lesson that was taught to me the previous day, you know, and roll it forward constantly. It's a mental drain, but at the same time, the confidence was always building. We always have, we also have really great mentors. And, and I also run a, an invest her meetup group just for ladies. And that's one of the things that I, I like to tell them is find one of the women in this room that looks like what you want your life to go in real estate and then try to find value for that person. And that will be your mentor and that will get you faster along your path. I think having the mentors that we've had has really helped us because when we hit those walls and had a challenge, it wasn't us on an island alone. You know, we ran it by them, we got some great advice and we were able to overcome it quickly. We weren't at the same spot when we started researching real estate. I mean, I was the wife who was very risk averse and thought that there was no way that we could possibly do this and that we would lose everything and be destitute. And how do we feed our children? And it took just podcast after podcast of listening to bigger pockets and hearing the same ordinary people doing these extraordinary things that it just sort of desensitized me to the fear of it. And when we were ready, we were, we were ready. And it wasn't, we didn't have too much analysis process. It was more of like finding the one thing that we needed. And it was at a meetup where I was talking to one of our mentors who wasn't our mentor at the time. I just met him. And I was like, man, these numbers that this guy is getting in, in Rocky Mount are crazy come over here and listen to this, honey. And, and that's, that's sort of what was the catalyst that, that moved this along as we were able to pick a market. We knew we were going to do multifamily and ended up being C-class. And then we, once we had that focus, it was easy to run with Easy it. to run with it, right. So it's really, it was kind of circling back. It was really about picking that focus because you can, you can look at all that stuff that's out there and you can choose anyone and they're all right depending on the person, right? So 
that person has to decide for themselves, what is it that you're going to do and what is your end result going to look like? What does your life look like after you're done investing? You know, because everyone talks about, oh, you're investing, you're investing, you're investing, you're investing. What is, what is it that you're doing it for? Understand your end result and work yourself backwards, right? So like she said, don't go into flipping because that's just another job for you. While it's it's great, like there's a lot of great flippers out there. It's just that you have to decide, is it for you? And for us, it wasn't it. But now that we've gone long enough now, yes, like I've been flipping. We have our fifth flip we're, we're looking at tomorrow. And, you know, in a short amount of time of a few months, even during all, you know, COVID and everything else that's been happening, there's still so much opportunity out there, you know, and it's just identifying it and chasing it. But I would never chase flipping and rentals at the same time at the beginning. Yeah. Because you get, again, that shiny well, we object syndrome. Once we picked Rocky Mount that, you know, based on the cash flow per door, we would need about 20 doors for him to quit his W2 quit job. job. And then closer to 50 for me to quit my W2 job, because then we would be going to supplementing our own health insurance and having those goals also, I think, helped us really accelerate because there was a very specific number, 20, okay? 20 wasn't that hard once you start with six. Right. And then 50 was like, well, that's that's not hard. Now what do we do? You know, once we had that 50, even though we haven't renovated out and rented them all, having that 50 told us that we could start planning for that next phase. And what does that look like? And that's how we ended up, I think, it, with the RV life. Yeah, and, and really, that, yeah, and that's what it is. And so circling back, I'm like, okay, there was there was a few more burrs in there, right? Especially on that second and third burr that we did, that we got, I think it was like $90,000 back. And we were like, we've never had this much money in our life coming at one time. This is, awesome. you know, so that was awesome. But what I learned through the banking process. So, you know, a lot of people are like, well, how do you finance all that? So again, we use creative financing and we got into private money and we met another private money lender through my mentor. I said, Hey, maybe you want to try this guy out. And I developed that relationship and he trusted me where he would fully fund these projects. Well, when you're ready to go into a bank or you're, you know, especially at the beginning, when we financed a lot of these commercial loans, and still had private money wrapped up in the down payments and all this creative financing that was going on, I thought to myself, well, why can't you take a portfolio and another portfolio and then burr the portfolios together? And I brought that to my banker and I was like, why don't we do this? And he's like, you're not really supposed to do that, but let me ask the main guy, can we do this? And he came back and he said, I'll let you do it this one time. So I burred the portfolios together. Well, then we bought a third portfolio and I went back to him after that was done rehabbing that one. I said, why don't we put it all into one big portfolio now and burr that out? And he said, I know you've done this once before. Let me see if we can do it again. <laughs> this is the last time. And he did it again. And then now we're at, you know, at this, now we're at this 50 and, you know, and he's like, all right, so now that you're financing all your properties with private money, I don't have to use the bank anymore. So that first couple of times we were using that creativity of, you know, basically portfolio flipping, you know, going back and forth and creating these bird processes. Well, my private money lender was like, let me just fund it all for you. And then you go to the bank. That's the way you're supposed to burr. I just happened to blend it all at the beginning because I didn't have quite the resources, but I was like, 
there's got to be a way for me. I don't like, you know, if there's a wall, I go over or under or through it. Yeah. It's like, there's got to be a way to do this. And that's what, you know, again, that creativity spawned more people to trust us as a couple and as a business to say, Hey, even, even my stepdad started out loaning us 20,000 and now it's up to like half a million. Yeah. Now he's at, you know, a really large amount, but yeah. Hey, I'm, you guys have proven yourselves. So why don't we, go further faster. And then, then we have that other private money investor, which has allowed us to go further and faster. Well, before we move on, I want to sort of reiterate some of the th- really key points that you guys covered. And if somebody's listening, you owe it to yourself to sort of rewind and listen to what they said. One is that you can't know everything. You will never know everything. If you think you need to know everything before you proceed, you will never get started. When we bought our first burr, I didn't know how to get correct comps for what we were going to get. It was kind of a leap of faith. And I talked to a couple of realtors and they said, yeah, this is what we think after the, you know, this is what we think the ARV is going to be. And all right. You know, and I also didn't, you know, I didn't take into account that I was buying it for cash and there wasn't going to be a bank sitting over my shoulder going, Hey, you might want to get insurance for that property while you have it. And all of a sudden, two weeks after I'd owned this property, I went, Oh my God, I don't have insurance. Things turn out. Okay. Also, I love your idea of setting a money target. You know, I think so many people just kind of think about this very nebulous kind of, well, I want to make more money. You know, I want to, I want to own real estate. But I think when you set an actual money target and then reverse engineer what it's going to take to get there, you, you basically are building yourself a business plan and a plan of action. And it makes it a lot easier to get up and do those things rather than just, you know, oh God, I've got to, I got to look at Zillow today, or I got to, I got to make some phone calls for some, to some cold call, some owners or whatever, you know, you have a, you have a reason to get up every day and, and take action. Absolutely. Cause that's going to give you focus and kind of that drive so that there's going to be a lot of bad days. That- well, to that your first point, funny story. I was terrified of like doing evictions. And we just did our first eviction in October, but I didn't, I didn't learn anything about it till right when we had to do it. Yep. <laughs> right. Phone call. And that's okay. And that's okay. Right. Some things are last minute and that sometimes, you know, you will learn more doing that than trying to plan your way yep. out of a problem. Cause we didn't waste time in the beginning learning how to do something that we didn't need to know until right now. Right. I mean, and the laws have changed, you know, with COVID and evictions yeah. anyway, and we won. So which is not yeah. Right. Yeah. And again, that, that now analysis paralysis, you know, I mean, we had it every, I think everyone goes through that. Yep. And like you said, but, as you, as you tackle those problems, you run up against them and you come out the other side with all of your, all of your limbs, you realize that, okay, the world didn't end. I survived right. and maybe it sucked for a week or two weeks or a month, whatever, you know, but you mm-hmm. came out the other side of it. And you learned, and now next time you face something like that, I'll be like, oh, I have been, I've been through that before. It's no big deal. That's it. It's like, it's like micro failing, right? You're not trying to macro fail. You're trying to micro fail. And that's the point because without fail, you're not learning. And I would much rather fail at least a little bit in every single thing. So I can say, yes, I can do this better. That's, that's kind of how he ended up selling me on real estate. We try this and we fail. Your life doesn't look any different. We try this and we succeed and everything about Changes. your life can look different. Yep. Yep. And that's, I was like, oh yeah, that sounds good. That's a great quote. Yeah. Let's do that. Right. So let's, um, 
let's talk about private money because I love I love what you guys did with going to a relative and saying, "Hey, you've got some you've got some money in your 401k. Let's put it to work. Let's diversify it a little bit because there's a lot of people right now who've got their money in the stock market in their 401k who are probably not real crazy about their returns. Uh, and they're maybe looking for a way to diversify. How do you approach people, relatives, and and who maybe have a 401k and say, hey, I've got this opportunity. Let's let's talk. Let me tell you how I can make you some money. And, and so I, I get a lot of the inspiration from uh, some of the books that I've read, especially Matt Faircloth's book, uh, Raising Private Capital. After I read that and realizing, you know, there's two circles, you have an inner circle and you have an outer circle. I really had to understand that myself and go, well, what is it that that means for us? You know, everyone's in different situations. People have stepdads, people have, you know, you know, the real dads or they have moms or aunts and uncles and all these different facets of family. And how do you approach someone? And at first you're thinking of it, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to go ask someone for money. They're going to think I'm poor and I'm destitute. And I'm asking someone for money. That's your own basically block in your head that you got to get through and realize you're not asking for money. You're providing opportunity. That's where you cross over. And as long as you can present it almost like, almost like a package. So when I went to, especially with, with her stepdad, I had a port, you know, basically a, a plan and a, and a portfolio that I was going to present to him. And I presented it as if I was going to an interview, you know, at, at a corporate company here's the numbers, here's the pictures, here's everything about what I'm about to do, and here's my plan of action. What do you think about this opportunity? Instead of just saying, hey, I got this thing out in this city somewhere, and I think this good opportunity, and, and what do you think? That would never fly anywhere, even with your own family. <laughs> you know? I mean, he took a risk um, on us for sure, but it Absolutely. was like, your mom and I are going to move in with you if it doesn't work. Yeah, so... <laughs> Realizing also that you're playing with someone else's money. You know, it's not just some money that you found on the street or that you made, you know, from a friend because you won at a bet at a game or something. This is someone's life. And that's what that money is. And you have to treat it as such. So going into it by just saying, hey, I'm going to use your money. It's no, I'm going to make money using your money, but also I'm going to make you money in the same time. And here's how. One, we had a contract that both of us signed. We kept up with communication, showing him the progress. I think he came out a couple times to rack him out to mm-hmm. see to the see properties it. and what was going on. Right. And then we ended up talking about it, you know, within the family. And so my, my stepbrother's wife was interested. She always wanted to get into real estate, but again, she didn't have the time to to devote to researching a market and and buying something so she ended up investing her 401k with us as well on a flip and then as soon as we paid her back she was like no no no, go do it again (laughs) right and not everyone has access to family where they just have family money And, and and that's okay and that's where we've also branched off into using people that are outside of the inner circle we've gone to the outer circle and so, yeah, people can start with that outer circle. But again, you're not going to go to those people, your friends or people that you meet at these networking events and just say, hey, invest in me. You know, I'm a new guy, but you got to trust me. Everybody needs money. You know, and you got to start with something. You got to start with a plan, you know, take the plan to them and say, here's what it is I'm trying to do. I've I found this. 
I need help. You know, never be afraid to ask for that help. Show that you are vulnerable and that you are human. And somebody along the way is going to help you. But if you just go into it saying, I know everything I'm doing. I've read all these books and I've listened to all these podcasts. You just give me your money. It's never going to fly, right? So you got to go into it realizing that the end result is everyone wins, not just you, right? So going to our private money lender after we kind of established using our own HELOC, right? So we did have our own money into this. Once he saw, you know, us burr out that once or, you know, I think it was those first two times and he was like, I'm ready to invest my money because this person speaks very highly of what you're doing. So that opens doors as you go further into the game of real estate investing that aren't open to you at this moment. Right. We in had time. to have a track record. Right. And the non-relative private money lender was brought to us by our mentor. But I think some of what helped that and what helped working with my uh, stepsister-in-law was the fact that we and I ended up investing my 401k, uh, rolled it over into a self-directed IRA with our mentor. So I'd gone through the process. And then when she was ready to go through the process with me, we could coach her through that. Even though we hadn't done a whole ton of real estate, I had done that. And so I was like, well, here's the company I use. Here's how it works. Here's our contract. So I think it was helpful to walk her through that kind of thing, having that experience, even though it wasn't, you know, with real estate ourselves, it was funding our mentors. And since then you've given him money. And then since then, other people have approached us saying, Hey, I want to invest with you. Which is great. And we're, you know, we'll be working on major projects coming up. And it really, what it is, is like, it doesn't necessarily start with the money. It starts with the deal. If the deal's there, the money will follow. Right. But it has to be a deal. You can't candy coat a deal and say, oh, this is an amazing thing because that's where you're going to get hurt. That's as much as real estate can build you up, it can tear you down, you know, really quickly, especially if you're overconfident and you just think you're all this, that and a bag of chips. It's not going to work if the deal is not a deal. And you got to be humble about it. You got to, again, be in the learning process and saying, look, just because I have 100 or 200 or however many doors you have, that's just a number. If you don't know what it is that you're looking at and you're just passing it off to someone else and hopes that it works out, for us, that's not how we build our business. Everyone has to win, you know, from the bottom up. You know, we consider ourselves the bottom, right? We're the gatekeepers of people's lives that invest in us. And we will fail before we ever let someone else fail, right? So if something happens to us, all our investors will always be paid back no matter what. You know, that's how we go in and approach outside, you know, out in that outer circle and also in our inner circle, even though they're family, we still treat them as a business partner because again, we're playing with their lives well, and playing with their grown, money. He's gone, our has gone from the second on the loan to, to primary. Yep. To primaries. So that, that helps, I think, the relationship. With some of our larger deals. The only thing I want to say about SDIRA's investing people's 401ks is check with your custodian to make sure that you're following all the laws, the federal laws around it, because we're able to borrow my stepdad and my stepsister-in-law's money because according to the government, we're not immediate family. So yeah. make sure that 
you know, I, I don't know if you can borrow your sister's money. Yeah, think, you can't. I don't think you can. Like, <laughs> right. I, I can't remember. Somebody described it to me. It's like same level, same familial level. It's like sister, brother, no, aunt, mm. uncle. Yes, maybe I, I can talk. Talk to your custodian or their yeah. custodian. As it applies to 401k. Now, yes. if they just gave and you private money, yep. that's different. That's different. Yep. Right. It is but. different. So let's talk terms here for just a second. I just want to sort of understand, you know, what sort of terms you're able to offer your your family uh, in order mm -hmm. to, you know, when you're doing self-directed IRA money. Right. So when I approached her, her stepdad, you know, all these numbers were going through my head. I'd never asked for money before like that, you know, saying, Hey, it, well, how about investing with me? So as I was looking at returns and looking at these percentage rates and, and what it is that we were trying to do, you know, some people say, well, oh, 15%, others say, Oh, 8%, you know, there's such a wide range of numbers that you can go with, you know? And I was like, well, in our inner circle, one being her stepdad, you know, I was like, Hey, you're making between four and 6% in the stock market. Most of the time, 4% and a lot of times less because you get emotional with your money in the stock market. And <laughs> nine times out of 10, your returns are not that great because you end up pulling too quickly or you're leaving in too long. Right? So I was like, why don't, I use almost like that double amount or so I was like, Hey, what do you think about 10%, you know, right off the get go. And he was ecstatic over it. He's like, perfect. You know, so I didn't know what it is I was doing at the time. I just knew 10% seemed reasonable. And I ran it by my network and said, is 10% okay. I said, that's a great deal. You know? Yeah. That'd be awesome. If, if he agrees to it. So that's where the 10% came from. Well, now that we're on the other side, on the outer circle, he's like, no, 12%. So, we're at 12% with them nice. and then, uh, you know, a point on the buy and a point on the sell. Right. So basically, right. Exactly. So with family, we don't do points with basically the other, almost like hard money. There is a point structure that is involved with that. Gotcha. And that's why the deal has to be structured. Well, how long are the loans? Five years. So we have a five year balloon, right. With a 20 year am through, not only our bank does that. So in 20 years, we'll, you know, we'll, no, I meant on the private money yeah, loans. Same, the same thing. So it's a five year balloon with a 20 year AM, but a lot of these, especially with her stepdad, it's at, it's at a year. So we will real reevaluate after a year, every year. Right. So say, Hey, why aren't you bird out of this yet? Is the project behind? Her stepdad wants us to keep the money as long as we can, because obviously he's living off that, you know, that cash flow from the percentage rate. But our hard money slash private money person now on the outside is going, hey, after six months, I want my money back. I'll give you two month extensions thereafter, but you're going to pay a point every single time you do. So for the bank, it's five year 20. For our stepdad, it's five year 20, but after every year, it's a reevaluation. For the other side, it's six months and you, you know, he wants his money back. Yeah. So. When I think um, the first two loans we did with my stepdad, we were making interest only payments, mm -hmm. burned out of them as quickly as we could. So in less than six months, I'm yes. pretty sure. Yes. And then I think the third loan or third and fourth loan we took from him, we negotiated no payments, just everything on the on principal the, and interest at the end at the when, end. when we grew more confident in the bird. Yeah. And then this last one where he purchased 
basically did all the purchase costs on the 14 unit. We did agree to doing interest only payments again. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so it's, it's negotiable. I think that's the key yeah. takeaway. Yeah. Everything is negotiable, yeah. both from your family and from the outside. Yeah, because with my stepsister, it was no, no, we've not done any payments. Right. But, and, and with the private money lender, yeah. right? There's no payments in the private money loan? Correct. Yeah. So it's just a growth. It's just a growth. It's growth. For them. Yep. That's right. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, I see this with syndications as well. You know, you'll, you'll have them where they'll have class A shares that are just growth where, you're not going to be getting any distributions until the end. Uh, and then mm-hmm. they've got more of the income fund, which is, you know, where they're going to be paying you out quarterly or monthly distributions, you know, and then sometimes there's a blend. Sometimes it's, you know, Hey, we're going to let you, we're going to have, let you have a little bit of the upside as well. So it, like you said, it's negotiable. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let's get into time. What does a day in the life look like for you, Josh, when you are in acquisition mode? So what I like to do, uh, I use a few apps on my phone when I go out deal hunting. So I'll drive for dollars quite a bit. And I will also utilize the network. So I know all the key players that are in the city that I'm at. I know who's doing what, where, and how. I know the biggest investors all the way down to the smallest investors. And when I'm ready for acquisitions, I go, all right, everyone, I tell everyone in that network. Sometimes it takes a day to get through everyone. And I text them, I email them. I say, I'm ready to purchase. Just let you know, I'm out hunting. You know, I, I'm ready to buy something. I have two realtors out there working for me. So I let both of them know and say, I'm, I'm ready. Right. And so that lets them go through their networks. So it's, it's almost like a tiered effect. So I tell one person, they tell everyone beneath them. Right. So that's how I kind of utilize that on top of driving for dollars, networking. So also out there, I've ran some networking events. And again, being that focal person saying, hey, I have a meetup coming. Why don't everyone attend? And then everyone says, hey, Josh, you know, how are you doing? You know, and then I get to tell them what it is I'm doing. Right. So a lot of word of mouth. It's the funnel. It's the deal funnel. Right. Creating that deal funnel. It's helpful, too, when I send them out to get something specific. So I was noticing we had a whole bunch of two bedroom, one baths and I was getting them rented, but it was kind of slow. And I had one person move out of our one bedroom, one bath. And I listed, I think I had it listed for 48 hours before I signed a lease. I was like, I think we need some more one ones. Go find us another one, one. And he found a seven unit. And I was like, that's it. Yep. And so, you know, yeah. yeah. So it can be target specific, right? So I'm not, I have a very specific bill as far as like the way I want the building to look. So, you know, I, I head for bricks or, you know, on the outside or vinyl, right? But mostly bricks. They last a long time. Uh, I like slabs. If it is a crawl space, I'm okay with it, but I prefer slabs. You know, so there's like, there's like a build that I look for that I've gotten really good at. And I'll go through and I'll look up through tax records, through skip tracing, you know, every tool that I can possibly get a hold of to get a hold of the owner. And then I'll cold call. I'm not afraid to cold call, you know, and I'll get a hold of them. I say, hey, can I take you out to lunch? I'd like to look at your portfolio. And nine times out of 10, they've all said, sure, yeah, I'll come meet you. You know, and it may not be that property that we strike a final price on, but there's also many other properties that most of the time they own. They're not just having one property. They own a couple or many. And then I get to, hey, what about this one? What about this one? You know, and then 
I like packaging things together in portfolio purchases. I don't want to just buy one thing. Again, I'm not the kind of guy I just want to buy one thing. I want to get a lot of things at the same time so that I can wrap it into these commercial loans or, you know, have my private money lender not just lend me 50, 100 or $200,000. I want 300, 400, 500,000 you know, so that I can bunch it into a large, larger loan where he makes more money on the interest rate. I have more doors to, you know, basically rehab. I give my contractor all that work, you know, so it keeps him busy and we get multi, when I'm done with it, I pass it off to her and she fills them, you know, so we get this massive amounts of inflow of cash flow, you know, without worrying about like one or two doors at a time where, Hey, if you have a vacancy, it's a hundred percent vacant or it's 50% vacant. You don't, you don't, you don't want those numbers. You know, you want, you, you, you conquer this by volume, at least for us, it was about volume. It wasn't about going slow and steady wins the race. For us, it was conquered by volume. If, if we can fill these doors with the right tenant, and I think that's another key factor we haven't hit on yet is you got to fill it with the right tenant because a single tenant can destroy that property that you just rehabbed. You got to get the right person in there. And that's what she's really good at. But the, at the end of that acquisition day, you come home and I think, oh, okay, he's home. No, he comes right upstairs and he's sending emails mm-hmm. and writing down, you know, collecting his notes and right. getting his to-do list for the next, for the next day. For the next day. Right. That's acquisitions mode that's for me. Yeah. But, you know, and then reading for our work week, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about, you know, like how do you become more efficient at it? You know, how, and I, and I do it through apps, you know, instead of like trying to keep it all in my head, which is what I used to do. I use apps in order to keep me on task and to keep me focused because again, there's bad days where I'm just, I am not motivated, but I know if I don't do it today, I won't do it tomorrow. And then, you know, a lot of times we tend to push things off, you know, and if you can just, keep pushing the ball forward a little bit every day, you'll notice how far down the hill you've gone. And to that funnel deal funnel that Brandon Turner always talks about, like for the most part, we've, we've created that. And now that it's in place, I think a lot of deals will keep coming through. I think the difference is that we're kind of putting the pause button on. So there have been deals that have come across his plate that I've said, no, Gotcha. And it's okay to say no. I think that's the biggest thing. It's, it's okay not to no say forever, no. but it's yeah, yeah. no right now. Yeah. Yeah. But so, the great thing about that is we can take those deals and we have a network of people that we're starting to mentor. Yep. And we're like, hey, we know this is a good deal because this was brought to us, you know, pocket deal by uh, an agent or something like that. And uh, we think we think you can do this. And that's that's nice to be able to give what we can give back. consume. Yeah. Right. It's not just about taking, it's about giving. Yeah. All right. So, so you mentioned, you mentioned some apps. What are mm. some of the apps that you're using to find, to help you find deals and to stay on task? So like there's, there's task managers like um, deal machine is one of them. Uh, I use that quite extensively. I use basically my GPS. I can mark, mark a route to where I can place multiple markers down like through ways, you know, something just, just because I know the city well enough, you know, I, I, I can create an efficiency route. So, you know, again, like, you know, the GPS man, uh, apps, uh, the deal machine app and to do list apps or any do any do and any list, and any list is also two you know, those great are the ones apps that I can put to do's on his. Right. So we can share, That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then and that's the whole thing. And then also uh, Google Drive, right? Google Drive is a great one because that's how I use to communicate also with 
my contractor where I can upload photos and he can upload photos or, you know, we keep our master list there. And there are shared folders that we have with our private money lenders where photographs and, and contracts and all that are gotcha. shared. Gotcha. Right. So as long as things, especially with these apps, it's not just about you using the app. It's about giving everyone that's on your team the access so that not only can you share up, they can share down. I think, I think we also started with one Gmail. And I think it was about 20 or 30 doors in. I was like, that's not going to work. Yeah, it's not going to work. You have that one unless you're in a new right. property. Manager. So separating the business as it goes forward is yeah. a big major, major Keeping thing. up with growth is its own Oh, yeah. Challenge. Challenge. Yeah. So, Josh, how many hours would you say you're spending during acquisition mode? During the acquisition mode, I would say at least 20 to 30 hours a week when I'm in acquisitions because I I hit it hard and I hit it fast. Right. So I'll drive out. I'll spend all day out there. I'll drive back and I'll do it over and over and over again. Not all five days a week, but probably about three to four days, depending on who's available at that time, mm -hmm. right? I'm off the weekends. I just purposely, just because it's family, right? Like that's just what I dedicate. Unless there's like this killer deal that comes across and they're only available on the weekends. And yes, I'll you know, I'm going to go out and find it. But I'd say on average between 20 and 30 hours a week during acquisition period where I'm just like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to go hunt. I just call it, you know, my hunting period. So. Gotcha. And would you say things when you're not in acquisition mode or let's say rehab mode that things are a lot calmer? You're not, of course, you've been in almost nonstop acquisition mode since, <laughs> you know, for a year and a half. So, yeah, um, but things. That's why he's lot. flipping now, because it got a little got a little bored there for a while. So yeah, it started it, flipping. Yeah, it was like, OK, I've conquered a challenge. Like I'm always looking for the next challenge. And then I was like, OK, let's throw some flipping along with our, you know, our rental rehabs, because we have such a clean process now that I tell my contractor at the beginning of the week, here's what the schedule looks like. Go do the things and tell me at the end of the week that they're all done. That's not hard to do, right? Once you're, once you get there. So when I'm not in acquisitions mode, it's very much, I mean, five hours a week tops that I would work. Right. But that's why I threw flipping in the mix. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to handle something a little bit more than just five hours a week. Why not do something that's fun but also makes a little bit of money, right? So, you know, if I'm flipping during that week, I'll spend 10 hours, 15 hours, you know, tops during the week, just kind of managing. But now that we're going to get into this RV life, I've been setting up processes to take ourselves out of this picture yeah. so that the business will run by itself. And that was part of the test too this last week was to see how much of the business could get run on its own. Right. Yep. When we, yep. we were in places that didn't have Wi-Fi or cell phone service. Yep. All right, have, Marcy, your yeah. turn. <laughs> we have room to grow in that, that yeah. aspect. So you're, you're doing the property management side. What would you say, how many hours a week are you having to spend on average? In the beginning, you know, at least 10. When I have properties that are listed, it's very time consuming because there are a lot of logistics for showings and there are a lot of logistics for reviewing applications. But one of the things that I've implemented recently is I've got a mentee who I'm training to do this stuff. And while we're working on it, we're creating standard operating procedures so that I can hire a VA when we end up leaving to go full-time RV. Hopefully, because she'll have her own real estate. What would you say? Maybe like two hours a day, or three hours a day on top we, of your full-time job? When we were in crazy 
crazy growth. I mean, I was four hours a day almost. And, and that's just because I'm very, I'm a very much of a perfectionist and it's, I'm going to stay up until 11 o'clock until it's done if I have to. Plus, there's a lot of things in property management that you can really only do eight to five. And so juggling that with my full-time job was kind of hard. So there was a lot of things like I also do all of the accounting and financials for our business. So that stuff got handled after 10 p.m. after the kids were in bed. So it was it was a lot of hours yeah. for sure. But now that I'm I've got help. I think it's really just kind of managing everything and, and I can definitely get down to a four hour work week here soon. Yeah. All, right. All right. Well, let's get to the fun stuff. You know, one of the primary questions we often ask our guests is this, is this the kind of thing that you could do from anywhere in the world? And you guys are about to put that to the test as we hinted at the beginning so. of the show. Yeah. And, you know, as Josh and I spoke when we first met, uh, you guys have bought an RV and you're about to hit the road and do full-time RVing. Yep. So first of all, so give us a, a quick rundown of where that inspiration came from. And then I want to hear kind of how you think you're going to manage this all in the road. Um, COVID. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of did. It kind of came from what's been happening around the nation and around the world, really. Our ultimate goal was time, right? So what that time meant to us was time with our kids and time with friends, time with family. And when everything broke loose and everything shut down and everything with that, it, it put us into this house, into this box that, you know, you had to see every single day because that, you know, we were able to work from home. Not a lot, you know, not everyone can, but we were one of those people that could. I had been working from home for a year prior and yeah. February, we immediately transitioned to homeschool. Like right. we knew we probably weren't going to send our kids back to school anytime soon. Based on how young our children were, I was not willing to put them in virtual school. I spend seven hours a day on Zoom. I can barely handle it. I'm not going to make my seven and, and eight-year-old do that. So we started out with homeschooling. Again, that was because of COVID. I always wanted to, but once we really got into it, I found really my passion with it. I found how much they loved it and how, you know, we're, we're still de-schooling, but we're hoping that this RV year will be unschooling. So I think that was kind of the first thing. Typically, we're, we're beach people. We had a great beach weekend in May, but we were so busy. We just didn't get around to doing it again in the summer. Yeah. And, and you know, we were, like he said, confined to this house. And on a whim, he's like, I'm going to rent an RV. It was a, a small C-class. Small C-class RV. We're going to grab the dog and the kids and we're going to go in the mountains. mountains and it won't be as hot. And like, it's very hot in North Carolina um, in the summer. And I was like, oh, camping. I don't know about camping. Yeah. We'll see. It was the best week. Best family vacation. And I, I was so less stressed. I think I was like, well, I could do this. I could do this all the time. I could do this forever. And I was like, and he was like, you can what? What, you, what does that look like? You know? And that's what spawned. And I was like, well, do people do this? Do people go full-time RV? And you know, like everyone else does, they go to YouTube and they're like full-time RV. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at all these channels that's that do it. That's how you learn how to do stuff. Right. That's how I learn, you know? So it was there and I'm like, look at these guys, look what they're doing. Why don't you want to do that? And she's like, let's go for it. And so I was like, okay, you don't have to tell me twice. Well, then it's just working out the logistics. Like, right. do we want to sell our home? Well, the kids weren't bought into the idea. They wanted to have Christmas in their house. So maybe we'll only go 10 months. 
if we don't have to sell our home, we could Airbnb it. Right. Because it's like, hey, we're real estate investors. This is what we do. Why not do it? Right. So that's what kind of got the ball rolling. Then we bought everything. And now that we've gone out and kind of shook it loose a little bit and learned a lot of things along the way, we're like, you can do this. If this is the freedom that we wanted and you can go to all these amazing places without, you know. Well, in, in our first vacation in the C-class, we met at least two different people who full-time RV. And then this last week, we were at two different campsites and we've met a lot more a, people. A lot more people, right? Who full-time RV. So well, yeah, we can do this. We can do this, you know, and, and there's so much technology out there, right? This is probably unheard of, you know, 20, 20 years ago when, you know, you didn't have the technology as far as cell phones and Wi-Fi and all that no, stuff. But with the acquisitions that we have done and the cash flow that we get from these properties now, and we've hit our goals. It was like, it's, it's time to execute, you know, what it is we set out to do. And that was to go again, travel and, and experience things instead of, we spent a lot of time living this. Let's fill our house full of stuff. It looks it right? looks like lifestyle creep, but when you run the numbers, it's not. Like right. we're downsizing. It's a reduction lifestyle. when you go into it's almost like tiny home living, right? You're reducing life into this box that has wheels on it. Right. And if you're able to do that, I'm not saying it's for everyone. It's not. But if if you're able to do that and you want to do it you know, the world's your, your backyard. Why not go do that? And that's, that's what it was for us is, you know, the cash flow is there now. We've set up things so that it, we can run everything virtually, you know, even in acquisitions, I can still make purchases through phone calls and computers. And, you know, they can send the documents out to, you know, DocuSign and use those type of tools that you don't have to be there. And you give access to other people on your team to run those parts of the businesses themselves and all they got to do is ask you the hard questions. Hey, what do you want to do with this property? You know, and you just make those level, you know, those, those high Here's level decisions for you to make a final decision. On right. It. So that's where the VAs are coming into play and training other people to do what we do. Also all the financial and accounting work is not nearly as much and as cumbersome when you're not constantly renovating. When you're, right. when you're constantly renovating, there's, there's a lot, a lot of transactions that you have to keep, keep track of when right. I, I use Buildium as my property management and accounting software, and it is going to be incredibly easy to maintain when we're not constantly renovating. It's it's very straightforward. It's very easy, um, and I can get a VA to to take incoming bills and and even pay them, yeah. um, so I don't have to document them in more than one place. I, I think, for me at least, full time RVing is going to answer our why in the utmost level. We both wanted out of our W-2 jobs. At 50 doors, we're pretty much there once we're finished renovating and, and filling the tenants. But what do we do in this COVID world? Just just sit around our house with our kids? I mean, I can continue to homeschool them, but I can't take them to the library. I can't take them to museums. I can't do a lot of things that I had envisioned I would be able to do or we would be able to do when we weren't working full time and we're like traveling, like we're not getting on a plane anytime soon. Yeah. How do we travel the way we want to travel with our kids in this current environment and situation? And, and RVing really answered that for us that we could go out there and look and see all the beautiful nature that, that God has created and, and provided for us and teach our kids 
through experience and not out of a book or off of a computer screen. Right. I think it will be much more valuable for them. And I think the great part is that we'll be learning a lot of it alongside with them. I mean, the places that we've identified that we want to go to, half of them I've never been to, half of them he's never been to. So Right. And, and you know, and, and through that, you know, especially as like, you know, as when you're starting out in real estate, you have these amazing goals, right? So everyone sets those goals. This is what I would do when I would get there. This is how much money I'm going to make. And this is what I would do. A lot of those plans morph and change throughout the process of acquisitions, right? And that's what we've learned. Now that we're there, you know, people are like, why don't you just keep going? Just go get 100. Just go get 150. But the, but the word is always, well, why not just? Well, you always just keep doing things if you allow yourself just to keep doing things to fill your days, right? Now you have all this money and you think that you're happy now, but it's like, Happiness isn't found in the money. It's found in the time that you gain back. Yeah. We, we sacrificed a lot of time with our kids. There yeah. were a lot of nights where I was like, look, mommy just has to finish this and we'll play tomorrow. And I think that after two years, I was like, enough is enough. I mean, sure, we will get to 100 doors. We will yeah. get to 150. We will get to 200. Sure. But it doesn't have to be in 2021. Right right. 2021 can be the adventure. And then 2022, we'll just see what happens. Right. And with us traveling around the nation, you know, with us being in an investor mindset, who says we can't purchase out of state? Yeah. Right. Like I'd like to diversify. Right. It'd be, it'd be awesome. You know, and, and that's what's going to allow us to do that. So it's not like we're not going to invest. It's just that we can go anywhere and do it. You know, we can stay in one spot for a month, two months, three months or two days, three days, four days. You know, it, it's up to us. And living that minimalistic lifestyle is what's going to allow us to like we don't we don't have a house to fill anymore. We don't have to fill it with all these fancy things. And not that there's anything wrong with doing that. Like it's just not for us anymore. And from what we've discovered through real estate that has taught us, Hey, you don't have to do all that. You can live simpler and still maintain happiness and connection with people. Right. Because that's our ultimate goal is the experience, the experience of life, the experience of people, the experience of friendships and family, which is teaching you know, our children, teaching, you know, and teaching others along the way, like, hey, you want to make a change? Here's how, you know, real estate can be that vehicle. It was for us. And here's how we did it. You know? Well, you know, Brittany and I, we haven't talked about this a lot uh, recently, but we used to talk about this a lot back when we first started the podcast, which is experiences over things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I look back at Christmas when I was 11 years old. I couldn't tell you a single present that I got, yep. but I can tell you some of the, the details from our family's first trip to Europe that same year. And those are, those are the kinds of, of things that I want to cherish with my wife and my son and, you know, time together, not things. And that's really hard sometimes with a six-year-old boy. I tell you what, <laughs> it, it is just things, things, things. Yeah. You know, he also, we've taken him on some amazing trips and yeah. And he remembers those and he will remember them. And I think he will remember them more than the things that he's getting right now. So mm -hmm. I, absolutely. I, I and a lot of times we, we, as parents pass that kind of almost that mentality of gather, gather, gather and need, need, need when in actuality it puts you further and further away in the relationship because you're always trying to fill yeah. that time and those gaps with things that don't really mean much to your children 
Well, and you have to hustle to get the money. And you got to get the, yeah. And then you're spending time away from them. Right. So if your ultimate goal is to get out of your day job, you've just created another day job for you, right? Just the real estate can be a day job, you know, like. Which is why I try to to temper his his flipping because it it is a lot more hours than acquisition and renovation and on the rental because I don't, I'm not involved at all in the flipping. I don't do any finances with that stuff. So he has to do, you know, A to Z. And it, it is a it is a time sucker, and you can get efficient with it, but if that's what you rely on, yeah, that's just a job. I mean, I think originally he said he wanted to flip to fund the real estate to buy more rentals or a flip here and there to pay for a vacation. But now that we've kind of focused in on this RV life thing, we don't really have to do any. You don't have to do any of that. Yeah keep our units filled. Right. <laughs> That's all we gotta do. Again, re- reduction, not increase. It's the reduction in life expenses so that you can go do many more experiences, right? If, if that's your goal, right? Well, Josh and Marcy Rathbun, thank you so much for sharing with us today on the Road to Family Freedom. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you and find out more about what you are about, uh, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, probably reach us through email, uh, silver lining, and then the number four, rei at gmail.com. I think is probably the best way to get a hold of us, you know, and we can reach out through cell phones after that, um, answer any questions, you know, happy to jump on a phone call. You know, we're always available. Reach we don't us really anytime. have a, a social media or website presence because, you know, that wasn't really where we were going with this. Yeah. Like we have some branding on these t-shirts. On yeah, there. we have our shirts. <laughs> and, you know, um, you can get me on Instagram too through Freedom with Fire. Oh, that's right. So Fire being financial independence through real estate. So I, I do have the Instagram, uh, which I post on every once in a while. I need to get better with that. But we are going to start a YouTube channel for the RV life. So we'll, we'll marry the real estate world with the RV living, you know. So we're going to start that channel up and you can follow us there once we get it up and running. But... Well, thanks again. It was great talking with you guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, If you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom.